please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, we are uh, listening to part two of a message we began last Sunday. Matthew 13, verse 44, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Father, what an amazing promise. What an amazing future. What an amazing reality you communicate to us in this verse that your son spoke 2,000 years ago. Father, we ask that you would help us to get this, not only get it uh, right exegetically or theologically, historically, in context, but Father, that we would get it in our hearts. Father, that we would catch this passage, that we would live, live out this passage by the way we relate to you, that we would truly view you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we would view you, Lord Jesus, that we would view your kingdom as, as that great treasure that it is, the great treasure that you are, that we would uh, be willing to lay down our lives, that we might be with you and trust you and follow you. Father, we do pray as we think uh, about this passage together that your Spirit would be at work in our hearts, just revealing um, the treasures of our lives. Father, those things we treasure more than you. We pray that you would show us that. You'd kindly and gently show us those things and peel our fingers back from clinging to them and wrap our arms around you, Jesus, today with more power and more vigor and more love and more desire with more passion than we've ever clung to Christ. Father, that's what we want. We, we come here to be changed. We, we come here to grow in Christ. We come here to leave differently than we came. And we pray, Lord God, that you would do that today, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would hear from you, and you would truly move us, Lord, emotionally, move us intellectually. God, move our wills to pursue you more faithfully, to love you more deeply to trust you more fully. So help us, God, treasure you, even as we listen. May we, may we uh, uh, treasure you, even, even in the way that we engage this text this morning. And so let us hear from you, Father. Let us listen. Um, let us listen and, and preach as if this is the last sermon we would ever hear and the last sermon I would ever preach before we meet you face to face which could be true. So help us, God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're studying the kingdom parables about the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom, His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of, of, of God's beloved Son, the kingdom of the Son of Man, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. All of these kingdoms are the same kingdom, just different names for the same kingdom and and we've been thinking about this particular parable about how this kingdom is a treasure how God is a treasure how Jesus is a treasure and and he is worth selling everything for giving up everything in joy in joy 
to have him. And last week I quoted from Shai Lin who said the kingdom of heaven, the the point, the main point of this parable, I believe this is the main point of this parable, the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that it's worth joyfully sacrificing anything and everything to get it. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable that it's worth joyfully sacrificing anything and everything to get it. And I gave you an illustration last week. If if I told you I, if you would sell everything this afternoon, then I would give you $100 trillion to replace it. And if I will also give you everything you own back, but brand new and better, and also give you back every special keepsake or sentimental belonging, and you'll cherish it even more, would you go and sell everything this afternoon? And... Uh, whether you know it or not, your answer would be yes. <laughs> you, you would joyfully go and sell everything this afternoon. You, it would not be a sacrifice. It would not seem to you like a sacrifice. It would not be something you, you drag your heels to do. I guess i got to do this. No, you would jump up and leave and go with laughter and joy and songs and happiness and sell everything to get that $100 trillion and everything else back better. That, that's what... Jesus is is telling us about coming to Him, about inheriting the kingdom of heaven. And I quoted from Ligon Duncan last week, first of all, the treasure is hidden. It's not openly displayed for all. Not all see the value of that treasure. I think that's a side point of this parable. And so we spoke about that briefly. Uh, Many people don't get this. So... They, to them, God is boring, the Bible's boring, church is boring, everything's boring, and they can't imagine how uh, this kingdom is so worth selling everything to get because it's hidden. They've been blinded. I mean, if you want to see how they're blinded, go back to the parable of the sower. They're blinded by Satan. They're blinded by persecution. They're blinded by by the cares of this world. They don't see that they see all these things in the world as valuable and treasures. It reminds me of an of a illustration John Piper uses of, of a man who's in the total dark and he has this brooch around his neck and he loves this brooch and he pets it and it's so soothing and comforting and he loves this brooch. But then the light turns on and it's this big nasty tarantula or roach and he's like, ah! That, that, that's how those who are blind and living in the world, they love their sin. They love it. It makes them feel good. It makes them happy. That They find their joy in, 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 in sexual pleasures and drugs and alcohol and, and the, the, the things of this world, money and, 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 and getting higher up uh, in, in their job, uh, making more money and, and succeeding in, in business and, and even good things, their children, their, 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 their marriage, their husband, their wife. And they love these things. But then God turns the light on and shows anything is a roach compared to Jesus. <laughs> so, so husbands, wives, children, even the good things compared to Jesus, it's nothing. It's nothing. And so, so we, we need God to turn the lights on our spiritual understanding to see the, the, the value of the kingdom, the value of Christ. That we're to hate everything. Hate it. Yes, Jesus said hate everything compared to Jesus. And 
And so we must pray. If, if you're here this morning, you're online, and you're just, I don't get it. This is, no, I'll take my, I'll take my phone over Jesus. I'll, I'll take whatever over Jesus. Well, pray God would open your eyes because it's hidden from you. And you're blind and you need God to open your eyes to show you the value of, of Jesus and His kingdom. Secondly, Ligon Duncan commented, notice that the treasure is found unexpectedly. This man was not in the field digging for treasure. He was digging for something else. Perhaps he was plowing his field and he stumbles upon the treasure. So he wasn't even looking for it when he found it. And we'll, we'll talk more about that next week because the, the pearl of great price, he was looking for it. Whereas th this, this person in this parable doesn't seem to be looking for it. Again, a side point, not the main point of this parable. I'm not going to spend most of my time here, but I will mention it. God shows up in people's lives sometimes when they're not even looking for it. And I mentioned last week, nobody's looking for it in one sense because no, no one seeks God. There's no one seeking God. No, not one. There's none good. Like the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, he, he wasn't looking for Jesus. He was looking to kill Jesus' followers. And God shows up and changes his life forever. And finally, and I believe this is the main point of this parable, which is why we're going to spend 20 points on it. <laughs> and finally, notice the treasure is worth everything. The treasure is worth everything. And I, I began going through these 20 points, and we got to five last week. I'll name those and then continue on through. Number one, we, we thought about how the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because it is a kingdom that will never end. Number two, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because the least in his kingdom, in this kingdom, is greater than the greatest man ever born at Jesus' first coming. Number three, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because it is our Father's kingdom. Number four, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because you seek first this kingdom and everything else will be added to you. And five, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because you will receive great reward in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. And so we went over those last week, and now we continue with number six today. Number six, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because you will be with Jesus in paradise. You will be with Jesus in paradise. When you, when you are saved, when you're born again, you find Jesus irresistible. You fall in love with Jesus. You delight in Jesus. You want Jesus. You treasure Jesus. You trust Jesus. You, you love the words of Jesus. You fall in love with Jesus' book. You know, when you fall in love with somebody, you love to hear from them. You love to talk with them. You love to hear what they say. Jesus has spoken right here. We, we fall in love with, with Him. And we'll do anything to be with Him. I took these words from the thief on the cross. Remember that thief dying with, with Jesus? Deserved nothing but hell and judgment. And he looks at Jesus in Luke 23 and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. 
the kingdom of heaven is, is treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because you will be with Jesus and He will satisfy your soul like nothing else. Luke 14, 26, I alluded to it already. Jesus said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. If there's one verse in the Bible that makes me question whether I'm actually born again, it's this verse. It's this verse. Because I know how much I love these, these people and want this kind of thing in my life. And yet Jesus says, you hate them compared to me. Again, you've got to look it up to see if it's really there. He really said that, hate? He, he said hate? He used the word hate? Yes, in the Greek, hate means hate. That's what he said. And, you know, he, he, he means that the, 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 there must be a great gulf fixed. There must be a great gulf fixed between your love for Jesus and your love for anything else. Even that which you most love in this world, mommy, daddy, grandbabies, children, wives and husbands, a great, there must be a great gulf fixed. There's no comparison. There can't be any comparison. Jesus is first. That's what happens when you get born again. There's just nothing, no one who can compare with Jesus. Harry Reader said, we can't put anything above, beside, or below Christ. We can't put anything above Him, certainly. We can't even put anything beside Him. And you can't even put anything right under Him. They've got to be a gulf fixed so deep, He ain't near you. To, way below, way, way, way below. That's what happens when you're born again. You love Christ. And you're willing to sell everything to be with Him. You'll never leave Him. Lord, to whom else shall we go? For only You have the words of eternal life. This is Paul's desire. In Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Is death gain for you? I mean, how many Christians during the pandemic lived as if death was gain? It's like, let's do everything we can not to die. Chickens. We, many people acted like chickens. Where is Christ? Where is death gain? Right? Now we should be careful. I have to caveat that. We should be careful. We should take care of our health. We should be careful. But the fear we saw? Really? Is death gain for you? Beloved, is death gain for you? Like, it, would you like to go home now and be with Him? The answer for the believer is yes. Come, Lord Jesus. I remember when I was in Minneapolis, and maybe you remember this. I don't know. What was it? Uh... 2000, 2007, uh, uh, eight. there was a bridge collapse in Minneapolis. This, this huge bridge. Uh, and normally I take that bridge, on that day it collapsed. Because we had a, a, a downtown campus and a north campus and they had a, a get-together every Wednesday and I was going to drive up there to go to that get-together as, as is my custom. But today, but that day for some reason I didn't go. And I don't know if I would have been on there when it collapsed or not. But, but 
but I didn't go. And, and I remember, I remember thinking, wow, praise God that I didn't go. What, what a mercy from God. And I'm like, but I could have been with Jesus today. So that would have been better. How do we think as believers? What, what do we value? To die is gain. Do you believe that? To live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. One commentator comments, Paul asserts that living has no meaning apart from Christ. He is the object, motive, inspiration, and goal of all that the apostle does. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. To die is gain means that to die and be with Christ is far better than anything else that you have or can experience on earth. That's what it means. I mean, think about all the reasons you would like to keep living. Christ is better. To die is gain. Paul said to to depart and be with Christ is far better. So we don't need to live in fear. If I die, I gain. I'm with Jesus, which is far better. I remember preaching at a a funeral uh, of, of, of a man who allowed me to live with him for no charge, basically, when I was in seminary. And I remember saying that funeral, Dan does not want to come back now. You know, everybody's crying. They miss Dan. Yes, we miss him. But I tell you, he doesn't want to come back. (laughs) He's with Christ in paradise. To live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the the heart of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, dung, in order to gain Christ. Beloved, nothing in this world can compare with Christ. J.C. Ryle wrote, the saddest part of all good things of earth is their instability. Riches make themselves wings and fly away. Youth and beauty are but for a few years. Strength of body soon decays. Mind and intellect are soon exhausted. All is perishing, all is fading, all is passing away. But there is one splendid exception to this general rule, and that is the friendship of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is a friend who never changes. There is no fickleness about Him. Those He loves, He loves unto the end. Husbands have been known to forsake their wives. Parents have been known to forsake their children. Human vows and promises of faithfulness have often been forgotten. Thousands have been neglected in their poverty and old age who were honored when they were young and rich. But Christ never changed His feelings toward one of His friends. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Ah, friends, build your house upon that rock, Christ, who never changes. Denny Burke gave a a helpful illustration of this, this love for Christ, this devotion to Christ, this placing Christ first and being willing to forsake everything to have Him. And he, he gave the illustration 
of, 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 of a woman in a, in a wedding walking down the aisle. And, and normally, you know, you have the, the, the woman uh, all dolled up in, in her beautiful dress and the man is up here waiting for her to walk and he's happy and smiling and she's smiling and their eyes meet and, and they are uh, fixed and gazed on one another and everybody is just joyous at looking at the love of these two lovers and they'll finally be joined together. But, but Burke said, what, what, if, what if while the, the woman was walking down the aisle, she was catching the eye of other men and looking if there's someone better in the congregation that she might reach out to. And, and as she walks down, men reach out to her and say, hey, you're looking good today. Here's my number. And she takes the number and, of this other guy as she walks down the aisle and her eyes are wondering, looking for something better than the, the man that she's betrothed to marry. What would that be like? And he related that to how, as Christians, we're in a, a, a long journey of walking down the aisle to Christ. And we're to keep our eyes on the prize, which is Christ, and not be distracted by looking out in the congregation for better alternatives. And he based that on 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he writes, How many Christians treat their betrothal as an opportunity for infidelity? When you become a Christian, you become betrothed to Christ. And your whole life between now and the second coming of Christ is one long walk down the aisle. How many of you are taking your eyes off Christ to see if there are any other cute alternatives in the room? Paul says that he is jealous to make sure that he presents Christ's bride to him, not as a roving-eyed adulteress, but as a single-minded, pure bride. Paul means for all of us not to be roving-eyed adulteresses, but to be single-minded in our devotion to Christ. We never take our eyes off the prize, and the prize is Christ. The treasure is Christ. We are not looking around the room for alternatives. If someone calls our name to present themselves as a better alternative, we don't even turn our heads. Our eyes are fixed on the prize and all our other voices and concerns fade from view. Is that the way you live your life? With single-minded devotion to Christ. That is the aim that Paul had for the Corinthians and that is the aim that the Lord has for all of us. And so the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because you will be with Christ in paradise. Number seven, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because it is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God... Is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We enter the kingdom through the gospel. The only way we can enter the kingdom is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned last week, this parable does not teach you can buy the kingdom. You can only enter in through the gospel. And what is that gospel? What is that good news? That good news starts with bad news. 
the, the bad news is we've all been adulteresses. I mean, we've, we've all taken our eyes off the prize. Before we were born again and saved, we were sinners and, 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 and sinned against God and, and, and had other lovers and idols that we put before God. We loved sex and money and fame and power and we told lies and cheated and stole and did all manner of evils in God's sight. And did not love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We did not love our neighbor as ourselves. We were all about number one, me, myself, and I. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Friend, if you're here as an unbeliever this morning, do you know yourself to be a sinner? Do you know yourself to be one who has broken God's laws and commandments? And that's not a light thing. Many people say, well, we've all done that. Oh, we've all done it. Oh, well. No, do you tremble about that? Do you realize you have sinned against the, 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 the one who made you, the one who made you to have eyes for him and him alone, that you've broken God's commandments? This is a great evil, the evil of evils, to sin against the one who gave you life, to sin against the one who gives you breath right now, upholds you by the word of his power right now, who gives you health and strength and food and has provided all of you up until this day. You've sinned against him. You've broken his commandments. And because you've done that, you deserve hell. You deserve hell for your sin. You deserve to burn in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. That's what sinners deserve. That's what will happen to sinners, whether they believe it or not. You know, we're up at Broad and Olney trying to warn people, and they laugh at us. They make fun of us. They do this and that, and they laugh. People going to laugh. They're not going to laugh on that day. They're not going to laugh on that day. People might say funny things like, oh, they think it's funny. I I'm going to go to hell. There's a great party down there. They have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea the torture, the, the unimaginable torture and wrath and shrieking and crying that awaits them forever. And it will never end. Not after a billion, trillion, million years. Never-ending hell. That is the penalty for sin against the holy God. But the gospel, the good news is God loves sinners. God loves sinners, so He did something to save us. He, he, he came to earth to get, a, get a, a pure bride for Himself. As one pastor said, that God created the world to get a bride for His Son. Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, never sins. The only one who never sinned. Buddha is dead because Buddha sinned and Buddha can't save you or anybody else. I met a Buddhist at ShopRite. <laughs> oh, no, no, thank you. I don't want one of these. I'm Buddhist. Well, friend, Buddha's dead. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead. You need a living Savior. Now, you would think that would offend him and he'd walk away angry. No, he actually took the track. Muhammad's dead. He can't save anybody. He inspires people to run on the stages and stab people to death, like happened this week, because that's what he commanded people to do who blasphemed the name of Muhammad, this false prophet who at 53 married a six-year-old girl and consummated the marriage when she was nine. That's their leader. We have a pure leader who did no wickedness like that. His name is Jesus. 
And he died for sinners, not for his own sin. Those Buddha and Muhammad died for their own sin. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus took the curse of God upon himself. Jesus was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, Jesus rose up from the dead. He's alive. And he stands here today. He stands with us today. His presence is with us today. He's pleading through the the poor and weak words of a preacher to come to Him and be saved. He says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. And he, He opens His arms for any Buddhist, any Muslim, any nominal Christian, any Christian, any pastor, come and find forgiveness, and find salvation, and find rest, and find healing. Friend, if you've not yet come to Jesus, would you come to Him today? Would you come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Jesus said, for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, I love Sister Phyllis. You know why I love Sister Phyllis? is because when I said John 3.16, I can see the love in her face and I can see her repeating those words and she's not like, oh yeah, this is the point where the pastor in the sermon tells the gospel and I don't need to hear that. That's for the unbelievers. I'll just wait till he's done and goes back to the real sermon and so I'll just cop out for a few moments. No, no, she, give me the gospel, pastor. Give me, I'm a Christian. I believed this gospel 20 years ago. But for God so love the world. Oh, never gets old, Pastor. Tell me God, Tell me it again. Tell me the gospel again. Yes, Sister Phyllis, I will. Every week I will, and if I don't, you remind me. Christians love the gospel. Christians love the gospel. They love Jesus. They can't shut up about talking about Jesus. And in the gospel, you get these things that, that Romans 14 says uh, the kingdom of God is all about. Righteousness. You get righteousness. You need righteousness. You don't have it. You haven't earned it. You, you've earned sin and death. Uh, you've done sin and earned death. But Romans 4, 5 says, And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You can't work for this. You can't earn it. it it's freely given to those who believe on the Lord Jesus. And you get righteousness. His, his perfect righteousness counts as yours. It's like a robe that you put on like a covering that covers you that you receive by faith alone. And it's peace. The kingdom of God is peace. That's why you should sell everything to get it. There's peace and righteousness. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justification means all our sins, past, present, and future forgiven, and Christ's righteousness counted to ours. We've been justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And joy. You get joy in the Holy Spirit. You must be born again, Jesus says, to enter the kingdom of God. And the fruit of the Spirit is joy, Galatians 5.22. You get joy in the Holy Spirit and you you begin to find the things of God to bring you joy. You, you, You begin to find that God's Word brings you joy. Fellowshipping with God's people brings you joy. Reading your the Word of God brings you joy. Telling others about Jesus brings you joy. Because you want to see other people saved from hell. And so you begin to find joy because the Spirit dwells in you. You begin to find joy in the things of the kingdom. And so the kingdom is worth selling everything to get because it's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Number eight, 
The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because there will be no sin there. There will be no sin there. There will be no sinners there. And, and when, you're, when you're born again, you, you, you hate your sin. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you don't sin. But we hate our sin as believers. Do you hate your sin? Yes. You hate it. You want to be free from it. You don't want to walk in it. You, you want God to reveal it to you so that you may turn from it. And there will be no sin in the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You hear that? None of those people who practice those sins will be in heaven. They will be in hell. Those things won't be in heaven. Sexual immorality won't be in heaven. Fornication won't be in heaven. Having sex with someone who's not your spouse will not be in heaven. Idolatry will not be in heaven. No, no one will love anything anywhere near the way they love God. They will hate everything compared to the way they love God. Perfectly. There will be no adultery in heaven. Everyone will be faithful and pure in heaven. There will be no men who practice homosexuality in heaven. There will be no women who practice lesbianism in heaven. And it's loving to tell people that. And warn them. That's loving. Hate speech is to say, oh, it's okay. You can do that. That's hate speech. To tell somebody they can do something that God's going to send them to hell for? No, it's loving to warn people that no homosexuals and lesbians will be in heaven. There will be no thieves in heaven. No thieves. Nobody who cheats on their taxes will be in heaven. No greedy. No greedy people will be in heaven. That's a harder one to see. A lot of people could be greedy and people don't notice. No greedy people are going to be in heaven. No drunkards will be in heaven. All those who are consumed with addictions to drugs and alcohol, they won't be in heaven. They won't be there. Revilers will not be in heaven. Pe people who curse the Lord and curse His name and mock Him, they won't be in heaven. Swindlers. People who are very uh, keen at, 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 at cheating people out of their money, they won't be in heaven. They won't be there. None of that will be there. And that's good. Praise God. Heaven will, will be a place of purity and holiness. But notice verse 11. And such were some of you. Paul wrote that and said to the Corinthian church, and such were some of you. That's good news. These Corinthians were those things. They were sexually immoral. They were homosexuals. They were lesbians. They were idolaters. They were fornicators. Such were some of you. You ain't that no more. I know, eight fell in the paint. You were not that anymore. You're not that anymore. You were that. Such were some of you. What happened? But you were washed. You were sanctified. 
You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, so again, beloved, God saves sinners. He saves those people who, who, who practice those things. Who, who hear what I said in the first part and don't say, He's being so judgmental. He's being so judgmental. No, they hear that and say, I am the man. I have done this. I am a sinner. I deserve hell. You know the Spirit of God is at work in them when they're not. He's being so judgmental. Satan has them. Satan has those people. But, but the Spirit has the people who says, I am the man. I have done these things. I have lived this way. And God, you're right. I don't deserve to enter the kingdom of heaven. All I deserve is hell. But God. But God came to save sinners. And He came to sanctify sinners. He came to wash sinners in the blood of Jesus Christ. So, so friend, if you're here this morning, again, you find yourself in any of those categories. If, if you are sexually immoral, if you're sleeping with your boyfriend right now, there's good news for you if you repent. If you're a practicing homosexual right now, there's good news for you if you repent. If you're a drunkard here this morning, there's good news for you. If you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God will save you and you will enter His kingdom without that sin. Because no sin will be there. And so come to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything you receive because there will be no sin or sinners there. Number nine, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because all of God's and our enemies will be destroyed and we'll be ecstatically happy about it. Don't be holier than God. We will party like crazy because all of our enemies will be destroyed and sent to where they belong forever. We will rejoice. We will rejoice in that day. We will be so sanctified that we understand the holiness of God as we should and we will understand the sinfulness of sin as we should and we will rejoice that all of our enemies will be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15, 23-26 But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put his, all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Is death. Death will be destroyed. He will destroy all of you and our enemies forever. Number 10, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because we will receive new, glorified, immortal, imperishable bodies. We're going to get new bodies. That's one of the reasons Johnny Erickson Tata is so excited to be in heaven when she was 17 years old. She was a very active young lady, did horseback riding and all kinds of things, and she dove into a, a lake at 17 and, and hit her head on the bottom and, and is a paraplegic for the rest of her life. Tried to kill herself, but she got saved. She got saved and trusted God, and God has used her all over the world to reach people for Christ. 
But she's looking forward to that day when she'll dance in heaven with new legs and new arms. And so, friend, if you're here this morning and your body is ailing, getting weak, maybe you're older, maybe you're young, and you're dissatisfied with your your body, we have hope of a new body someday. 1 Corinthians 15, 50-57, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, the kingdom of of heaven is a treasure worth sacrificing everything to get because you will get in this kingdom, imperishable, immortal, new, glorified bodies forever. And we'll be fully satisfied. Number 11, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because it is the kingdom of God's beloved Son where there's no more darkness, where there's redemption, and where there's the forgiveness of all of our sins. Colossians 1, 13-14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, you see the interlocking use of kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, kingdom of His beloved Son, this kingdom. We will have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Friend, the only thing that can send you to hell is your sin. And in Christ, you're forgiven of all your sins. Did you know that? All your sins past, no matter how bad you've been, all your sins in your past are forgiven in Christ. All of your sins today are forgiven in Christ. All of your future sins, all of them are forgiven in Christ. That's the gospel. And you will not go to hell. You will not go to hell. One of the reasons I... I delight to remind you in some form or fashion of hell every Sunday is (laughs) it should really move you to be happy to remember what you deserve and remember you've been saved from that. You ain't going to go there. And that's amazing. You have been saved from hell forever. You have redemption. You've been redeemed. You've been bought back for God. You have the forgiveness of sins. John Piper tells this interesting story. Uh, I was listening, he said, a couple weeks ago to a message by another pastor, and he told the story of his sister who lost her husband to cancer earlier in the year. He was in his 50s and had been a faithful follower of Christ. She was sitting by his special bed set up for him at home, wiping his forehead in his last hours. She seemed steady and joyful, 
And so the picture here is this, this relatively young man, this husband in his 50s, is dying of cancer. He's at home. He's in the last few hours of his life, and his dear wife is sitting right beside him, wiping the sweat off his forehead, and she seems to be peaceful and joyful. And somebody's there, a relative or a friend, and, and this friend gets angry watching her joyfully care for her husband in his last hours to, to the point where she actually burst out and says, how can you act this way? How can you be so happy and peaceful when your husband is going to die? And she got mad enough to say something about it. One visitor became irritated and asked, how can you be so happy when something so evil is happening? Th- this woman must have read a lot of Elizabeth Elliot. Because this is her answer. This, this is the first sentence of her answer. My husband deserves to go to hell. Why am I so joyful? Because my husband deserves to go to hell. And because of Christ, in a few hours, my husband will be with God in heaven. Is that not worth rejoicing about? That, that's, that's an eternal perspective, you see. My husband is trying to go to hell. Thanks, honey. <laughs> Wonder what he thought. Did he hear? But how comforting on your deathbed. Yes, honey, you're right. I, I, I deserve to go to hell, but in a few hours, I'm going to be with Jesus in paradise. Where I don't deserve to be, but he gave it to me free of charge because of His death and burial and resurrection. Beloved, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because it's a kingdom of God's beloved Son where there's no more darkness, no more hell, no more sin, but redemption and the forgiveness of all of our sins. Twelve, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because the Lord will always stand by us and ensure we make it there safely. Beloved, if you're a Christian here today, God will complete what He began in you. He will keep you. He will cause you to endure unto the end. The older I get, the more friends in my life who used to walk with Jesus in college and other ways, even up until the, the internship I did before I came here, have fallen away from God. I have friends who have fallen away from God and no longer walk with God and are headed for hell unless they repent. But God promises, if we truly know Him, He will keep us and safely bring us into His heavenly kingdom. 2 Timothy 4, 16-18 At my first defense, Paul wrote, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Ever been in a situation like that where everybody deserted you? You stood alone? He says, may it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me. There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. He will never leave us. He will always stand with us. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might fully be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Christian, take heart. Nothing can separate you 
from the love of Christ. Nothing, nothing. He will keep you and safely bring you into His heavenly kingdom. Thirteen, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because it is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is basically the same point that it will last forever. But from Hebrews 12, 28-29, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It will never end. God is the king. And He is eternal. And He is all-knowing. And He's all-powerful. And this is the kingdom He's given us. Fifteen. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because the accuser of the brothers will be thrown down and accuse you no more forever. Satan still prowls around, right? Like a roaring lion seeking whom he, whom he may devour. We, 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 we don't want to be like those who blame Satan for everything. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. But we also don't want to be those who don't believe that Satan is alive and at work in the world because the Bible says he is. The Bible says he is like a roaring lion, roaring around, roaming around, seeking whom he may devour. He tempts. But God says in Revelation 12, 10 and 11, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Satan is like a dog on a leash. He can't do anything more or less than God allows him to do. As I think Luther said, he's God's devil. And God will ultimately defeat him and cast him down into the lake of fire and he will no longer accuse or tempt us forever and ever. And that's number 15 and I skipped number 14. I got my numbers messed up, so let's go back to number 14. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because there you will worship the king forever and you will reign on the earth. You will worship the king forever and you will reign on the earth. And, and, and again, uh, you're, 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 you'll have new glorified bodies that, that will worship him in, in ways you've never experienced on earth that will bring you greatest joy and delight. Revelation 5, 9 through 10, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Beloved, if you're in Christ, you will reign with Christ someday in His kingdom. You will reign forever and ever. Number 16. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because God is there. Because God is there. And again, this this forces us to ask the question, is God your your treasure? I mean, Piper asked the question, if, if, 
if, if you could make heaven all that you want it to be, all the things that you enjoy on earth, your favorite foods, your favorite activities, eternal golf, eternal football where the Steelers always in the Super Bowl. I mean, if, if you could make heaven all that you want it to be and have that, but then God is not there, would it still make you happy? You could have it all the way you want it, but God is not there. Friend, for the true believer, that's a hell. That's a hell. For the true believer, that's a, that's a hell. We, we, we want heaven because God is there. Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Those who are born again love God, want God, desire God, delight in God. And so we are willing to, to sell everything with joy. With joy. Remember, these are sacrifices we make with joy to, to, to have the, the kingdom because God is there. As Brother Ted read, Psalm 16, 2, I say to the Lord, You are my Lord, and I have no good apart from You. I have no good apart from you. And verse 11 says, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Have you tasted of that on earth, beloved? I want that more. But do, do you have moments here on earth, when you commune with God in such a way that, that you have this deep and abiding joy. I love to, to read certain stories about, about people of God who, who have these experiences with God of just overwhelming joy and tears. Sometimes they collapse from the utter ecstasy of, 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 of the enjoyment of the presence of God Almighty. I'm not charismatic, but I want that. <laughs> I, I want that. I want God to overwhelm me with His love and grace so that, you know, those, you have those sobbing moments where you got snot coming all down your nose and you can't stop crying because you're just so overwhelmed at the goodness and mercy and grace of God. Friend, pray for that. Well, I'm not an emotional person and that's not how I show emotion. Pray for that. I'll show you places in your life you get emotional like that. It might be over football. It might be over this. It might be over a newborn child. But you get emotional like that. How much more, God? How much more ought we to be emotional over God? Father, grant us that. Grant us to be amazed. God, overwhelm us with your love, with your grace, with your mercy. Lord, cause us to pursue you as a people in the Word of God, in prayer, in, in song, in, in private devotions. Here in, in corporate worship, overwhelm us with your goodness and your love and your grace such that we, we, we have these spiritual experiences that are based on the truth of God, the Word of God, and yet move us deeply to have deep emotions as we read about in the Psalms for you. Father, grant those to us more and more now and make us hunger for them forevermore in heaven. For Jesus' sake.
Number 17, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because there you will enter into the very joy of God. <laughs> Jesus is telling another parable about the kingdom and he, he says in Matthew 25, 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Wow. Someday we will have the, the, the power and, and the ability uh, to, 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 to know God in such a way that His joy becomes our joy. The joy of the blessed eternal God becomes our joy. That, you, don't, you never, never imagine joy like this. I mean, think about the most joyous occasions in your life. Think about the times in your life. Just, just in your mind, think about the times in your life when you've been most happy. Like the, the, the apex, the, the, the high point of, of your joys in this life. Think about those. Guess what? You always came down, didn't you? You always came down. Someday there will be no coming down. And... The joy you will have in that day will be infinitely greater than that joy you thought about. I mean, think about that, beloved. Think about that. Someday, someday you will have the power of God to love God and enter into the very joy of God forever and ever. Number 18. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because in this kingdom you will realize that all suffering, tragedies, losses, and sadnesses in this life will only multiply your everlasting joy in the life to come. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because... In this kingdom, you will realize that all the suffering in this life, all the tragedies, losses, all the sadnesses that you've endured in this life will only multiply your everlasting happiness. I, I love a statement from C.S. Lewis. In that day, all things sad will become untrue. And see, not only that, they will serve for your greater joy then. So, so, so Romans 8 says we will be more than conquerors, right? I love how Piper exegetes that. It, it, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? It, 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 it's not, not, not just that you will have victory over your enemies, but that your enemies will serve you. They become your servants. And so all your enemies and all the sufferings and pains and losses and tears that God keeps in His bottle, He records every single one. They will only serve you for all eternity to make heaven better for you. More happiness, more joy, more satisfaction in God. So nothing can touch you. I mean, nothing can touch you on earth. If they kill you, it will only serve your joy. The losses, tragedies, pains will only serve to make you happier in heaven. How much God loves us. How much God loves us. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil... Joseph's brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. If you're a Christian, that's true of everything in your life. 
whatever is evil, whatever people mean for evil, whatever you do that's evil, what you mean for evil, God means for good. For the Christian, for the believer, all things work for good, even your own sin. Hallelujah. Even you're yelling at your kids on the church this morning will work for good. Even that. And if you're a true believer, the way you take that, the way you hear that is, help me not sin, Lord. Help me not sin. You're that good to me, God. You're that good to me. You love me that much as a son, as your child, that you take even my sin and work it for good. Lord, help me not sin. Help me be holy as I can be. You see, people who hear that and be like, really? In the service, I got some sin to go do. Friend, they don't know God. But the, the, the kindness of God leads you to repentance. And so when you hear the, the overwhelming kindness of God, even to you in your sin, that He works your sin for good, that makes you want to be holy. It makes you love Him. It makes you amazed. What kind of God is this? That loves me so much that where my sin abounds, His grace abounds all the more. That I can't out Him. What you mean for evil, God means for good. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God and all, those, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's glory coming. And the sufferings can't compare. And the sufferings only serve to make the glories better. That's a kingdom worth selling everything again. Number 19. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because in this kingdom you will be given everything needed to fill you with greatest joy and satisfaction that will never end and will increase forever. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? 1 Corinthians 3.21-23 So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God. Everything's yours that's needed for your everlasting happiness. Everything. You will not miss out. You will not miss out. You will not miss out. And I've already sort of touched on this, but Ephesians 2, 6, and 7 make it absolutely clear. You know, your apex of joy in this life, you, you, you came down, but in heaven, it just goes from Apex to apex to apex, height to height to height to height for all eternity. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, in this life, the joys always end. I mean, we have these high points and then they go down, but in heaven, forever, forever. Why? Because you are a finite creature. I am a finite creature. God is the infinite God. And the more we get to know Him, the more joy and happiness we will experience and it will take us forever to get to know Him fully and so forever joy will increase. 
in, in that day, it's true what the hymn says, every day with Jesus is better than the one before. We know, y'all sing that, come on. That's how it's going to be in heaven. But sometimes we as Christians have some rotten, pretty bad days. And thank, thankfully we have the book of Psalms, right? I mean, I, I, was, I was a bit convicted last week that I might have gone too far in exhorting us to having this kind of uh, height of joy all the time in God. Because the fact is, Christians weep. Right? There's a, there's a psalter with songs of mourning. And, and yet, even in that mourning, we are testifying to the desire for a greater joy in God. And yet Christians mourn. Christians mourn. We mourn our sin. We, we mourn others' sin. We mourn when people die. Jesus wept at Lazarus' funeral. Uh, but, but in heaven, there will be no mourning. <laughs> he will wipe away every tear. And, and, and joy will increase forever. Ephesians 2, 6-7. And, 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 and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so it's going to take immeasurable, it's, go, it's going to take uh, coming ages. It's going to take the coming ages to show us the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Joy will increase forever. And so this kingdom is worth sacrificing everything to get. And finally, number 20, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that brings greatest joy and is worth sacrificing everything to receive because there will be no more tears, no more death, no more crying, and no more pain there anymore forever. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And therefore, this is a kingdom worth sacrificing everything to get. Beloved, I want to I want to end the same way I did last week, and, and ask the Holy Spirit that you would show us, show me what we're holding on to that we should get rid of to have Christ and to have Him more fully? What do you need to sacrifice or get rid of and leave behind to gain Christ? Maybe some of you are here this morning as unbelievers. Maybe you're online and there's something you're holding on to that you want more than Jesus. It, it could be a sin. I've mentioned that, that last week. Some, some people I've talked to and said, yeah, if you're going to follow Jesus, that means moving out of the house of your boyfriend and girlfriend or getting married to them. And they don't want it. They would rather have their sexual morality. 
I was talking to a man that brought an Alni, and, and he, I could smell a, 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 a deep smell of alcohol, and he was very honest to me and told me I'm, I'm high and drunk right now. But he was familiar with the Bible, and we went over the gospel. But some people would rather have that numbing alcohol or drug than to have Christ. For you who are believers, I mean, as believers, we always want to be growing in Christ. We, we want more of Jesus in our lives. We, we want to be more faithful, more humble, more loving, more filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but we want more. We want more of Jesus. That's why Paul prayed for the Christian Ephesians that Christ might dwell in their hearts through love. I thought Christ was already in their hearts. They're Christians. Yes, but Paul prayed for more, more, more. As Christians, that's what we want. We always want more. More faithfulness, more holiness, more Christ-likeness, more humility, more love, more joy. We want to be more like Jesus. That's the, the heartbeat of a true believer. And, and so are there, are there things in your life that you need to sacrifice or get rid of or leave behind to gain more of Christ? And remember, we do this in joy. I've given you 20 reasons and there's, there's tons more to do this in joy. I'm, I'm preaching for your joy here, not, not to weigh you down or to make you feel guilty, but I'm, but I'm saying Christ offers us something to, 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 to have that, 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 that we, we sacrifice with joy. Is there some sin that, that is holding you back from, from experiencing the fullness of joy in Jesus? I remember someone came into my office uh, a, a long time ago and, 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 and told me that they're not experiencing this joy in, in Christ. And my first question was, are, are there any unconfessed sin in your life? And he, he had had an affair and never told his wife. Deal with that. You've got to deal with that before God. Confess that to God. Confess that to your wife. Make it right. Confess your sins. One to another that you may be healed. Is there some sin that's hidden that God wants to bring to the light that you might have joy like you've never known? Is, is it, maybe it's not a sin, but a weight. A weight. Hebrews 12, 1-2 says, Therefore, since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Maybe it's a relationship. A relationship. I've, I've had you know, uh, situations where I, I'm talking to someone who's a believer and wants to follow Jesus, but they're dating a non-believer. And they might think they're going to missionary date. That's not a good idea. And so they need to leave that relationship to pursue Christ and find somebody who loves Jesus and trusts Jesus. Is it a job? Is it an issue in the family? Is it, is it a habit? Is it a way that you're spending your, your time or your money that's not wise or biblical or right? 
I would encourage you just to take some time right now, silently, and ask God to show you. And I'm going to do the same thing. Just take some time silently and pray, Lord, I mean, Psalm 139 is a great prayer to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And, and ask God to show you, is there anything, Lord, I need to leave behind and sacrifice with joy to know you to the fullest? Christ Jesus is the treasure great. We will sell all and all else hate compared to Him whose joy innate to live is Christ for he'll elate to die is gain for he's the gate to greatest joys we await he died and rose there's no debate a whole new people to create who find in him our all and wait on him his word he cuts it straight he shall forever fascinate in him all pleasures culminate he is the kingdom's treasure weight so trust the Son and contemplate His boundless beauty. Celebrate. Father, we pray that this, these words would be true of us, that, that we would find You to be our treasure great, that we would sell all and all else hate compared to You because You are our joy incarnate, our joy innate. We pray that You would show us that to live is Christ because You Give more joy and happiness than anyone ever could, and you are everything to us. And Lord, show us that to die is gain because we have no idea and can't even imagine the joys you have waiting for us. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you died and rose for our justification, that you take away all of our sins and all our failures, that you love us and where our sin abounds, your grace abounds all the more. We thank you that we can't out sin you. We thank you, Lord, that you even work our sin for good because we're your children. We thank you that you create us to be a whole new people who love you and love the truth and love to do good deeds and are zealous for good deeds. We pray that we'll wait upon you and listen to your word and obey it. We pray that you would fascinate us, God, more than anything else, that, that we would truly believe and know that in you all pleasures culminate, that we would truly find in your kingdom our great treasure. Help us trust you, Lord Jesus. Help us celebrate your boundless beauty. Father, help us be willing to sell everything and sacrifice everything with joy to have you and your kingdom. And Lord, we do pray you would show us what's holding us back. Reveal that to us by your Holy Spirit and set us free to be all that you want us to be. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.